The president's decision reflects the will of the American people. Or not. But, you know, we're post-truth at this point. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, And, of course, streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, Radio Sputnik, and other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and streaming on the internet. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. Most weeks, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, coming up in a bit, our uh, final Green News report before Christmas, Desi Doyen. Woohoo! Filled with nothing but good cheer, I expect. Mm, we'll see. Okay, we will look forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how much good cheer is in. Well, there's, there's uh, yeah. some good stuff. Right, we'll you'll you'll want to hang out for that. All right. Well, no, you. I'm not saying it's not good. No, I mean there's good news. But as far as good cheer, there is we'll good see. Cheer there is some good had. cheer. All right. Well, I will look forward to that. And also, if time allows, since this is our our last show as well, at least uh, me Christmas. and Desi's I Desi and I show. I don't know. Me. Wait. Our <laughs> last show. Um, be before Christmas, uh, though Angie Coiro will be in for us on our next episode. And some exciting news. She will have her exclusive interview with Al Gore. Oh. You ever heard of him? Uh, I may have. Uh, that's right. Al Gore right here on the next broadcast. Uh, but, uh, and then uh, Desi and I will disappoint you by returning right back here <laughs> the day after Christmas. So you can look forward to all of that as you wish. So, uh, But as, as time allows, since it is Christmas, I, I hope to have a dramatic reading for the holiday that I suspect you will find quite appropriate as we wrap up our first year of uh, under Donald Trump. But uh, but first, since it is uh, the Christmas season and a time for peace on Earth, why not become a world pariah in a fight over Jerusalem? Seems only appropriate for the Christmas season. That seems to be the outcome of Trump's recent declaration that the U.S. move its embassy in Israel to the divided city of Jerusalem. Uh, in defiance of decades of unified U.S. foreign policy uh, and and diplomacy on this matter. And 
And then on Thursday in the U.N., just one day after the U.S. was unanimously rebuked on the matter uh, in the by the 15 member U.N. Security Council, the U.S. has veto power on that council, but everyone else uh, voted against the U.S., Uh, And in a vote that echoed that one, the U.N. General Assembly also voted to rebuke the U.S. position concerning moving its embassy from Tel Aviv to uh, to Jerusalem, even in the face of direct overt threats to pull money from the U.N. and foreign aid from nations that vote in favor of this particular resolution These uh, threats came from a belligerent Trump administration. As the New York Times notes today, a majority of the world's nations delivered a stinging rebuke to the U.S. on Thursday, denouncing its decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital and ignoring President Trump's threat to retaliate by cutting aid to countries voting against it. In a collective act of defiance, Toward Washington, the U.N. General Assembly voted 128 to 9 with 35 abstentions for a resolution to demand that the U.S. rescind its December 6 declaration on Jerusalem, the contested holy city. The resolution is non-binding and therefore largely symbolic, but the lopsided vote, the Times notes, indicated the extent to which the Trump administration's decision to defy a 50-year international consensus on Jerusalem's status has unsettled world politics and contributed to America's diplomatic isolation. Major allies like Britain, France, Germany, and Japan voted for this resolution, though some allies, like Australia and Canada, they didn't vote against it, but they abstained, carrying out a uh, promise to To his base supporters, Trump's decision on Jerusalem upended decades of American policy, aggravating an emotional issue that has festered since the 1967 Arab-Israeli War when the Israelis occupied the entire city. Many Security Council resolutions since then, which have the force of international law, have warned that Jerusalem's status is unresolved, that claims of sovereignty by Israel are invalid, and that the issue must be settled in negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians. The uh, the vote on Thursday came after U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley issued a, a direct threat to the U.N., saying that the U.S. will will think twice about funding the world body if it voted to condemn Trump's decision even though that's not exactly what the resolution said. That's everyone knew that's what it meant. Uh, This after literally saying that the U.S. would be taking names on the uh, on that first vote in the U.N. Security Council on uh, on Tuesday. Haley said that the U.S. will put its embassy in Jerusalem regardless of the vote by the U.N. General Assembly. This is what the American people want us to do. She lied. And she said it is the right thing to do. The United States will remember this day in which it was singled out for attack in the General Assembly for the very act of exercising our right as a sovereign nation. We will remember it when we are called upon to once again make the world's largest contribution to the United Nations. And we will remember it when so many countries come calling on us 
as they so often do, to pay even more and to use our influence for their benefit. America will put our embassy in Jerusalem. That is what the American people want us to do. Nope. And it is the right thing to do. No vote in the United Nations will make any difference on that. But this vote will make a difference on how Americans look at the UN and on how we look at countries who disrespect us in the UN. And this vote will be remembered. So uh, she said uh, many times that this is what uh, the American people want us to do. That is a lie. That is simply not true. And I'll give you some evidence for that in a moment. The decisive rejection of this American shift of position on Jerusalem on the world's biggest diplomatic stage today was a setback for a president who was still looking for a major foreign policy achievement after nearly a year on the job. It also deepens, appeared to deepen the tension between Trump and the United Nations, which he once likened to a social club. Many diplomats who spoke before the vote from Turkey, Venezuela, Pakistan, the Maldives, Bangladesh and others took offense at the pressure campaign by the White House, including last minute threats by Mr. Trump to cut off aids, cut off aid to countries who voted for the resolution. They don't like that. They don't like being threatened like that. I suspect that the U.S. would not like that either. Aside from Israel, the only countries to side with the United States by voting no were Guatemala, Honduras, Togo, the Marshall Islands, the Federated States of Micronesia, Nauru, and Palau. Mostly uh, small nations that I suspect very much rely on support from the U.S. The vote also reflected resentment towards threats by Trump and Ambassador Haley, that any country supporting the resolution risked a cutoff in aid. The willingness of other countries to ignore or downplay such threats suggested that they had concluded that Mr. Trump was making them for domestic political reasons. It's also difficult to see how he could make good on a vow to cut financial assistance to important allies like Egypt, Iraq and Jordan. Yeah, I doubt he's going to be pulling aid, uh, pulling aid from those countries anytime soon, no matter how they voted on this resolution. The resolution did not mention the U.S. by name. It simply called for, quote, a reversal of the negative trends on the ground that are imperiling the two state solution. And yet, if you voted in favor of that, the U.S. threatened to cut you off. And is taking names. Now, uh, as I said, Haley uh, said several times that the America that this is what the American people want us to do. But she's wrong. She was lying. She was making that up. It's not what the American people want them to do. Who wants them to do that? Who wants the Trump administration to do that? Well, Time magazine gives us an idea earlier this month. Uh, They report that President Trump's decision to move the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem was welcomed by evangelical voters, pro-Israel organizations, and some of his biggest donors. Many Middle East experts warned that the decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital could inflame tensions in the area, and in fact it has. The Zionist Organization of America released a lengthy statement hailing the move, 
as, quote, historic, moral, and just, the Republican Jewish Coalition took out a full-page ad in the New York Times expressing similar sentiments, offering continued support for Donald Trump's presidency. But polls, polls of the actual American people that uh, Nikki Haley was citing there, uh, show that most Americans oppose moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem at Christmas or otherwise. A recent poll from the Brookings Institution, for instance, in early December, found that 63% of all Americans oppose moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. That includes, by the way, 44% of Republicans who also oppose it. So it doesn't sound to me like the American people want this, as Haley lied to the U.N. over and over again. Now, evangelical Christians, apparently, uh, who overwhelmingly supported Trump in the 2016 election, they back the move, although not by much, just uh, 53 percent supporting it in that same Brookings poll. So who does support this? Who are those Americans that Haley refers to? Well, Trump's decision was popular with a small group of major donors who backed his presidential campaign. Casino billionaire Sheldon Adelson, a supporter of the embassy move who backs the uh, both the Zionist organization and the Republican Jewish coalition, uh, who, along with his wife Miriam, uh, they're, they're both major donors. He donated at least $20 million to a super PAC designed to defeat Hillary Clinton in 2016 and $5 million to Trump's inauguration committee. Which, by the way, remains incredible to me that uh, that donors can give that kind of money to an inauguration committee as if that is not a direct bribe. Bernard Marcus, the co-founder of Home Depot, who donated five million dollars in 2016 to a super PAC to back Trump. Uh, he also sits on the Republican Jewish Coalition Board of Directors, Elliot Broidy a venture capitalist who was national vice chairman of the Trump victory campaign during uh, during the campaign and vice chair of the presidential inaugural committee. They all gave money. Matt Brooks, executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition, said his entire organization, including members of his board of directors, have frequently been in touch with Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, as well as key members of his Middle East policy team, including senior advisor Jared Kushner and U.S. Ambassador to Israel, uh, David Friedman, no relation. Uh, we never miss a chance in talking to administration folks, Brooks said. Also, the Republican friends in the House and the Senate and the governors about how important the recognition of Jerusalem is in moving our embassy. It comes up in many of the conversations we have. So, no, the American people are not in support of this. But the wealthy donors are, the wealthy donors who have the direct ear of uh, of lawmakers and of the president and the vice president. But don't blame the Jews. Blame the donors. It's not just American uh, voters who oppose this move, contrary to the lies from Trump and Haley. Recent polling also shows that American Jews overwhelmingly oppose the move. This uh, I was able to find from the Jerusalem Post. In September, 44% of American Jews do not want President Donald Trump to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And the American Jewish Community Survey of uh, American Jewish Opinion 
uh, was published in September. The survey conducted annually uh, samples uh, 1,000 Jews over the age of 18 in the U.S. When asked about the embassy, a majority said they oppose moving it. Just 36 percent responded that they would be in favor of this versus 44 percent who are against it. Um, so just 16 percent believe the embassy should be moved immediately. Four percent are not sure. So uh, don't blame the Jews. <laughs> blame the donors. Uh, so, it, you know, if all of this is what Trump meant by making America great again, it doesn't seem to be working. The world does not seem to be appre- uh, appreciating what Donald Trump is doing, what the U.S. is now doing. America is not great again, not in the eyes of the U.N., but uh, also apparently not in the eyes of the citizens of the world. America's brand has taken a major hit in the age of Trump. According to a survey that ranks the world's best national brands, the U.S. lands with an overall number six ranking in the uh, Anholt GFK Nation Brands Index, which measures 50 nations in multiple categories, including governance, exports, culture, people, tourism. Immigration, investment. The U.S. was the overall number one nation ranked uh, last year in 2016. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, right. I know. Uh, Now uh, Germany has taken that top spot. U.S. has fallen to number six in this international survey ranking. The source of America's big drop, President Donald Trump says uh, a political consultant who developed this brand survey more than a decade ago. We are witnessing a Trump effect following President Trump's focused political message of America first. He said America first has actually made America number six, (laughs) not first at all, according to this survey. Uh, Now, I guess we really do need to make America great again. Thanks to Donald Trump messing it all up. All right. uh, Let's see. Let me take a quick break here. We'll come back with uh, more uh, some encouraging news, believe it or not, on Obamacare. Oh, and much, much more. We'll see what we can get to today on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. These are the hazy days of winter, especially out here in uh, Southern California. Speaking of which, our Green News report 
uh, on that is coming up shortly, and that and much more. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I didn't mention, uh, Desi Doyen, the other um, that uh, Germany ranked first in that uh, brand's the most popular brands around the world was uh, among nations was Germany. Um, we were number six, but uh, number two, three, four. France is number two. United Kingdom number three. Canada number four. Japan number five. U.S. number six. Uh, it's not the first time we have fallen. Actually, um, after the re-election, the supposed re-election of George W. Bush in 2004, uh, the U.S. fell to number seven at the time. Normally, we're ranked number one. No non-Western countries managed to track to uh, to crack the top 10 of this survey. But then again, the survey is done by a Western outfit. So maybe they're biased. Who knows? Um, some uh, let's call it. Uh, yeah, I think some good news. Now, despite Donald Trump's best efforts to claim that Obamacare was dead, that it's gone, it doesn't exist anymore. He said this over and over. His administration's attempt to, to make that so by, among other things, shortening the open enrollment period by half, by 50 percent, pulling funding uh, for, you know, to let people know that the open enrollment period was happening at all and pulling funding to help people with signups. Well, it looks like the truncated open enrollment period on the federal healthcare.gov exchange was pretty successful anyway, despite the... Despite all their efforts yeah. to dismantle, undermine, and otherwise prevent people from obtaining health care? Yes! Yay! Now, I should note that the open enrollment period uh, still actually continues in states um, that run their own exchange and, and don't rely on the federal healthcare.gov system. So uh, signups are still available with a bunch of surprisingly good deals to be had on those state-run systems through uh, through January. So don't wait. Sign up now. Uh, but word out uh, late today suggests that the American people also overcame Trump's attempt to try to kill the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare by o attrition, since he has yet been able to kill it by legislation, given how popular it turns out that health care to Americans who actually need it has turned out to be. Who would have known? <laughs> who would have known healthcare was so popular? Uh, according to the New York Times late today, the Trump administration uh, said that 8.8 .8 million people signed up for health insurance through the federal marketplace. That is only slightly lower than last year's numbers when the open enrollment period was twice as long and heavily advertised. The numbers essentially defied President Trump's assertion that, quote, Obamacare is imploding, unquote, and could serve to re-energize the efforts by both parties for and against President Barack Obama's signature domestic achievement. Seema Verma, the, um, the administrator of the Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, reported uh, the total in a Twitter post today saying open enrollment for 2018 coverage ended with approximately 8.8 .8 million people enrolling in coverage. In the last open enrollment period back in 2016, which was twice as long, 9.2 million people selected health plans through the federal marketplace created by the Affordable Care Act. So it fell off a little bit, but it did pretty good considering... All of the odds did really well, considering all the odds that were being stacked against it. 
by Republicans and by uh, by Donald Trump, who apparently really, really, really doesn't want people to have health care, apparently. Consumer advocates said they were pleasantly surprised to see how many people had signed up in the latest enrollment period, and the numbers could still go higher. In some states that run their own exchanges, consumers have more time to sign up. The example, uh, for example, the deadline is uh, January 14 in Minnesota. Pay attention, AM 950 listeners. Uh, You got until uh, January 14. In Washington State, it's January 15. In California out here, and in New York all the way until the end of January, January 31. The report on Thursday shows that signups by people in 39 states that use the uh, that use the healthcare.gov uh, website but does not include activity in 11 states that operate their own insurance exchanges. So we'll get numbers on those in the weeks ahead. The new numbers the Times notes could reignite the fight around the healthcare law. The tax cut that Trump will soon sign into law repeals the Affordable Care Act's tax penalties for most Americans who are not insured. The president said on Wednesday that without the mandate, the health law is effectively repealed. (laughs) No, it's not. The mandate uh, is gone. The individual mandate, that thing that requires everybody or most everybody to please buy health insurance, because if you don't have health insurance and something happens to you, then the rest of us have to pay for your care. And that's what's been causing medical costs to rise so much over the last couple of decades. So this solved that problem. They moved it out of the way. This helped that problem. It, it didn't. Sorry, it didn't change right. the rise of, of uh, premiums, but it did very it drastically slowed the rise. Yes, of those so premiums. that's that's fair. It, yeah. it helped a lot. Uh, the uh, but so yeah. So he's lying when he says uh, I mean, it's really poster. You know, you got Nikki Haley in the UN saying the American people support us moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Not true. Just completely not true. You've got Donald Trump. Saying that uh, the health care law is effectively repealed. Just not true. And they don't care. Uh, a statement, uh, that statement was untrue. Given the law's expansion of Medicaid, among other things, that's not going anywhere, at least for now. And the uh, continuing demand for coverage. So Obamacare is, uh, <laughs> rumors of its demise have been greatly exaggerated, apparently. Nonetheless, Republicans still want to get rid of whatever is left. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, pushed back somewhat on the president uh, who said that it had been repealed. But with uh, his own pledge to try again to repeal the law, he tweeted. uh, It's just amazing. uh, He he tweeted in response to uh, Trump to those who believe, including Senate Republican leadership, that in 2018 there will not be another effort to repeal and replace Obamacare. Well, you are sadly mistaken. By eliminating the individual mandate in the tax bill, we have pulled one of the pillars of Obamacare out, but by no means has Obamacare been repealed or replaced. So they're going to try again in 2018, the Republicans, to get rid of what remains of Obamacare. And I hope, I hope that Democrats will pay attention to that and push for Medicare for all. Well, uh, speaking of that, uh, yeah, we have, what is it now, 16 or 17 U.S. senators who have now signed on to Bernie Sanders' bill calling for Medicare for all. Uh, We will see, uh, you know, obviously that's unlikely to move anywhere in a Republican-controlled Senate, but we'll see if we have a Republican-controlled Senate by the end of this year. 
or a Republican-controlled House, for that matter, by the end of this coming year, by the end of 2018. Um And uh, whether or not single payer Medicare for all is popular, well, that remains to be that remains to be seen. But a recent poll from uh, from Gallup, it is at least encouraging Americans preferences for a government run health care system versus a system based on private insurance. uh, Those those preferences are now divided. Uh, But that marks a significant shift in attitudes from earlier in the decade when Americans consistently preferred the private insurance option, period. Now, 47 percent support a government run system, the highest in Gallup's seven year trend. Support for private insurance based systems is now down to 48 percent. And I'm looking at this chart from Gallup. Um, This came out in uh, early December. And if you look at it, going back to 2010, back when the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare was actually passed, some 61 percent of Americans preferred uh, a a medical system based on private insurance only. And that was when? That was back in 2010, back when at the beginning of Obamacare, 61 percent versus 34 percent who preferred a government run system. 61 to 34 at the beginning of Obamacare. And now those numbers are virtually tied. 48 percent support the government system. Uh, I'm sorry, 47 percent support the government system. 48 percent support the private insurance system. So it is neck and neck. Since 2010, Gallup updates have shown as much as a 27 percent percent point gap in favor of private insurance versus one run by the government, but that has shrunk 10 points. Last year alone, apparently, the, the gap shrank to 10, to 10 points last year and essentially disappeared in this year's survey that was conducted in November. Given the Democratic legacy in promoting increased government involvement in health care, Gallup says it's not surprising that current attitudes are intensely partisan on this. Two-thirds of Democrats and independents who lean Democratic favor a government-run system. Three-quarters of Republicans and independents who lean Republican, they still favor a system based on private insurance. But 22% of Republicans who support a government-run system... um, That is, uh, while it seems low, just 22 percent on an absolute basis, it is the highest number in Gallup's seven year trend. And apparently it's Republicans shifting attitudes that account for most of the overall increase in support for the government system in this year's update. Well, good. Maybe all this conversation and fighting over Obamacare has helped people understand how their insurance actually works and what other options are actually available to them that don't require them to empty out their bank accounts for private insurance. Now, when it comes to single payer or a Medicare for all, that jury appears still out, according to this poll, according to Gallup. Um, Bernie Sanders, of course, Vermont senator, has become uh, the the most highly visible politician calling for expanded government involvement in the nation's health care system. He, along with one third now of Democratic senators, recently introduced that bill for single payer, the Medicare for all bill, uh, government funded health insurance system. 
Gallup's health and healthcare survey this year included a question asking directly about support for this specific type of plan, including an explicit don't know enough to say option. Most Americans uh, choose the don't know enough uh, enough to say option. Those with an opinion uh, about the specific Sanders type bill, as described in Gallup's wording, are about evenly divided on this. Um, Other organizations who have generally found mixed opinion about a single payer government system, but it seems to depend on how it is described, how it is described to those uh, people being polled. If you ask them about the, you know, the specific things that such a system would offer, they're wildly in favor of it. But if you just talk about single payer, um, they seem to split. The high percentage who say that they don't know enough to say uh, about having an opinion on a what is described in the poll as a Medicare for all or single payer health care system, um, the, the, there's a very high percentage, like 61%. That response, Gallup suggests, uh, is because uh, Sanders' efforts to promote a single-payer plan through his run for president and then over the past two years have not yet helped to make it widely understood uh, with, uh, with the American public as far as how it would actually work, what it would look like, how much it would cost, what would happen, et cetera, What you'd get is a benefit in return. But when you talk specifically about the benefits... About the elements of it. About each... Yeah, elements of it. uh, American people are wildly in favor of it. Uh, Okay, let's see here. What else do I have? I'm trying to clear the desk uh, as much as I can here from some items I wanted to get to. Oh, yeah. Uh, Remember that guy that, that... That Donald Trump nominee, Matthew Peterson, who had that wildly embarrassing uh, exchange with uh, Senator John Kennedy, Republican of Louisiana, uh, about a week or so ago. Have you ever tried a jury trial? I have not. Civil? No. Criminal? No. Bench? No. State or federal court? I have not. Have you ever taken a deposition? I was involved in taking depositions when I was associate uh, mm-hmm. at Wiley Ryan when I uh, first came out of law school, um, but that that was. Uh, you ever how, how many how many depositions? I would, um, I'd be struggling to, to, to remember. Uh, but less than ten. Yes. Less than five. Probably somewhere okay. in that range. Have you ever tried a, taking a, a deposition by yourself? Uh, I believe no. Okay. Uh, have you ever argued a motion in state court? I have not. Okay, so you get the idea. This just goes on and on. He's asking. The guy knows absolutely nothing. He is wildly unqualified to be a federal judge with a lifetime appointment to the federal bench. Well, uh, that Trump administration uh, judicial nominee who struggled to answer even the most basic questions about courtroom procedures in that uh, that video clip that went viral, he has now withdrawn his name from consideration. Amazing how a little sunlight can help on these issues. That video goes vi- uh, viral and everybody's like, what the hell is he? Really? Well, Matthew Peterson, he had been tapped to be a judge on the important U.S. District Court of the District of Columbia. He wrote in a letter to Donald Trump that his nomination had become a distraction. 
I had hoped my nearly two decades of public service might carry more weight than my two worst minutes on television, (laughs) he wrote. Uh, However, I am no stranger to political realities, and I do not wish to be a continued distraction from the important work of your administration and the Senate. He's the third now, the third Trump judicial nominee to be withdrawn over the past week. Uh, after uh, many of them have been found to be uh, unqualified by the American Bar Association, and yet they were approved anyway by the U.S. Senate. In an interview on Monday, uh, Kennedy, John Kennedy, the Republican senator there who you heard uh, querying Peterson, uh, he said uh, on an interview in Louisiana that uh, Peterson is a, quote, decent guy, but too inexperienced for for the bench. He said, just because you've seen my cousin Vinny doesn't qualify you to be a federal (laughs) judge. (laughs) Referring to the 1992 Joe Pesci film. Uh, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, Democrat from uh, Washington, D.C., the district's non-voting representative because they have taxation without representation in the District of Columbia in our nation's capital. They don't get to vote. Anyway, um, in Congress, uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton uh, criticized the White House for not even talking to her about this, uh, about any of these judicial nominees to the D.C. District Court. She says it's one of the most important federal courts in the nation, should be filled with judges who have first rate qualifications and experience. The White House should learn from this embarrassing moment and at the very least extend to the District of Columbia residents the courtesy of consulting on nominees to our federal bench here. Courtesy. We don't do courtesy anymore. The Alliance for Justice, which has been fighting Trump's judicial picks, said Peterson was among many unfit nominees put forth by the administration. Uh, Daniel Goldberg, the group's legal director, said in a statement it took the nomination of some egregiously underqualified people to make sure Senate Republicans begin to push back. Um, But this GOP-led Senate has been rubber stamping unfit judicial nominees for months now. It's time for that irresponsible behavior to stop, he said, and also time for the White House to stop sending up the kind of nominees we're seeing individuals with inadequate credentials, open hostility to the rights of fellow Americans, or both. And again, those nominees, Trump's been stopped from doing a lot of stuff, but these uh, federal ju- federal uh, judicial nominees are moving through at a record pace, and they are going to be on the bench for decades with these lifetime appointments. Okay, uh, I was trying to make myself feel better about uh, the fact that he had dropped out. I made myself feel feel worse. Well, anyway, uh, speaking of making us all feel worse, Desi Doyen, I think that's your cue. Let's get to it. It is time for our latest and uh, last last one before Christmas, Green News Report. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. A reprieve for renewable energy, but not for disaster victims in Republicans' massive tax bill. This bill basically pays for the tax cuts for corporations and millionaires by requiring drilling in our nation's most iconic national wildlife refuge. GOP achieves their dream of drilling in Alaska's pristine Anwar. Australia finds renewable energy more reliable than coal. 
Plus, what was once a paradise was like a war zone. California's Thomas Fire, now second largest in state history. All of those war zones and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Suck it, snowflakes. (laughs) Next, we're coming for their electric cars. We're going to make them run on elephant blood. Merry Christmas. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, they've been trying to do it for decades. They just couldn't stand all that oil staying in the ground, no matter how pristine the land was above it. One of the least discussed disasters from the GOP uh, tax bill. Yeah, in Congressional Republicans' massive $1.5 trillion tax cut bill for the wealthy and corporations, they did finally achieve that long-held dream of opening the pristine Alaska National Wildlife Refuge known as Anwar to oil and gas drilling. We have Anwar. We're going to start drilling in Anwar. That over the objections of Native Americans, ecologists, conservationists, and the majority of Alaskans and the nation in general. On the Senate floor prior to the vote, Washington State Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell begged Republicans to preserve the wildlife refuge, not destroy it. We should not be turning it into an oil field. What we're doing today is taking a step towards destroying it. But it may take years before drilling begins, and Senate Democrats and environmental groups have vowed to stop it in the meantime. The Republicans' tax bill also eliminates a personal tax deduction for people who suffer uninsured losses in natural disasters, like the record hurricanes and wildfires that have impacted millions of Americans in 2017 alone. That is, unless the president declares a federal disaster, which ends up not actually applying to most extreme weather disasters. The president is a federal disaster. Renewable energy, however, got a bit of a reprieve. Republicans left crucial tax credits for big wind and solar energy projects largely intact. Those are phasing out anyway in five years. But the fossil fuel industry's billions in permanent taxpayer subsidies remain. Of course. Meanwhile, in California, the massive Thomas Fire in Southern California's Ventura and Santa Barbara County counties has now grown to be the second largest fire in state history and is on track to become the largest. And it bears reiterating that this is happening in the middle of winter, that these huge fires used to happen in the middle of summer in the hot season. Now they're happening all year around. And now it's the second largest fire in state history, I guess. Number one is not far away. The U.S. Drought Monitor this week announced more than 40 percent of California is now abnormally dry, with mountain snowpack at about a third of normal. An Associated Press analysis found a, quote, significant increase in the numbers and sizes of fires in the state and noted that this year's fires have burned more than double the acreage than last year's record fires. But there is some good news. In Arizona's Grand Canyon country, an appeals court has upheld a 20-year ban on new uranium mining claims on public lands that are adjacent to Grand Canyon National Park. 
In New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo has endorsed a push by the state's $200 billion pension fund to divest from all fossil fuel investments. And in Australia, a major coal-fired power plant in New South Wales tripped on Monday. It's the fourth coal-fired power plant to fail without a warning in a week in Australia amid a record heat wave. Tesla's new big battery in South Australia, however, jumped into action as intended and prevented a blackout in that region. Australia's official energy task force has now recommended more renewable energy and battery storage be installed to make the grid more resilient. So that was the world's largest battery that Elon Musk and Tesla just installed in Australia? Yeah. And it already came in handy with the failure of this coal plant? Yep, more reliable than coal. That is a little bit of good news. Finally, in stark contrast to the Australian government's push to increase coal exports, the world's biggest coal port in Newcastle, Australia, just announced this week it is shifting away from reliance on coal in order to diversify the port's traffic. The port's new chairman called the long-term outlook for coal, quote, a threat to the port as world demand for Australia's coal continues to decline. I think that's good news too, right? Yes. All right, then I'm getting out before something breaks again. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Desi and me to you and yours, Merry Christmas to all. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Icicles on each troughs and tinsel on the tree, but it's a green Christmas for me. They're all green Christmases for you, aren't they, Desi <laughs> Yes, Doyen? they are. They are. You um, have, uh, we, we have a follow-up on these fires, on these L.A. fires, which look like they're going to, uh, not L.A. fires, Southern California fires, which look like they're going to keep burning now into the new year. Into as far January, as yeah. most definitely. So this applies to the GOP's tax cut bill that they passed and how that takes away the uninsured losses tax deduction for people. Um, they don't get that anymore. So that yeah, for, to, to help pay for uh, uninsured coming losses. back. Uninsured yeah. yeah. Losses after a so, fire. Yeah. so this week, Governor Jerry Brown of California requested a major disaster declaration from President Trump to assist with the response to the wildfires across Southern California. You know, those have destroyed more than a thousand homes. More than two hundred thousand people were forced to evacuate. Um, in his letter, Brown said, "Quote: I have determined this incident is of such severity and magnitude that an effective response is beyond the capabilities of the state and affected local governments and supplemental." Mental federal assistance is necessary. And he also added that these burn zones have large amounts of debris that has to be removed because mm-hmm. there is a public health threat to that. Yeah. So um, he also noted that there's been more than 8,700 8, fires across the state. Now, in October, Trump had approved a presidential federal disaster declaration with the wine country fires. For the, yeah, up in Northern California. In Northern California, wine country. Now, with his GOP tax bill, uh, that means that in order to be able to get tax deduction assistance from the government... It has to be a federally declared disaster by right. the president. So if he doesn't declare the Southern California fires to be a presidential federal disaster, I see. then all of these people down here in Southern California will not get that tax deduction. And it's unclear to me how he couldn't uh, approve this after approving the Northern California fires, citing specifically the need for uh, debris removal and so forth as a public health hazard. So if, if it was hopes. a hazard up there, seems like it's going to be a hazard down here. One in, the, in the meantime, uh, FEMA 
the FEMA administrator, uh, administrator Brock Long, in an interview, uh, an excellent story uh, by Bill Weir over at CNN, uh, reports that uh, the FEMA administrator, Brock Long, essentially wants everyone to understand three fundamental truths. One, FEMA is broke. Two, the system is broken. Three, if this is the new normal, and he's talking about all of these storms, all of these fires, all of these floods and disasters, if this is the new normal, Americans can't rely on a federal cavalry when disaster strikes, they will have to take care of themselves. Just a reminder that this comes just after the Republicans in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate and the president in the White House have approved a $1.5 trillion giveaway that's going to cost the American people a giveaway to corporations and the rich. But people who are fighting for their lives, who have lost everything in fires, floods and disasters, well, according to FEMA, they're just going to have to start fending for themselves. Quick break, and we are back with a uh, hopefully appropriate dramatic reading for Christmas. <laughs> How the Trump Stole America. That's after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. We really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. And real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media, you know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump, must be able to continue the fight for all of us. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. That's what we thought last year. Well, that's what we hope. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, this was sent to me uh, last year, actually, by uh, listener Thomas L. Uh, but I we didn't get to uh, didn't get to do it. it. This is said to have been written by uh, H. Blair, a teacher in Bellevue, Washington. But as far as I can tell, it was originally written and published at the blog of John. Pavlovitz.com. So I'm not sure uh, who actually wrote this. Didn't get to, for whatever reason. We didn't have time to uh, to do it last year. Uh, maybe we'll well we'll do it right now. Of course, uh, maybe it will become a Christmas tradition if we are around next Christmas here on the broadcast. My thanks to those of you who stopped by Bradblog.com/slash/donate. To help us uh, stay on the air into the new year, if possible. Um, but uh, this seems, even though it was written last year, it still seems appropriate this year. So curl up around the fire, 
Grab some hot cocoa and a loved one for our dramatic reading, How the Trump Stole America. In a land where the states are united, they claim, in a skyscraping tower adorned with his name, lived a terrible, horrible, devious chump, the bright orange miscreant known as the Trump. This Trump, he was mean, such a mean little man with the tiniest heart and two tinier hands, and a thin set of lips etched in permanent curl, and a sneer and a scowl and contempt for the world. He looked down from his perch and he grinned ear to ear, and he thought, I could steal the election this year. It'd be rather simple, it's so easily won. I'll just make them believe that their best days are done. Yes, I'll make them believe that it's all gone to hell, and I'll be the Messiah their souls they will sell. And I'll use lots of words disconnected from truth, but I'll say them with style so they won't ask for proof. I'll toss out vague platitudes, phrases, and such. They're so used to fake news that it won't matter much. They won't question the how, the what, why, or when. I will make their America great once again. The Trump told them to fear. They should fear, he would say. They've come for your jobs. They'll all take them away. You should fear every Muslim and Mexican, too. Every brown, black, and tan one. Everyone who votes blue. And he fooled all the Christians. He fooled them, indeed. He just trotted out Jesus. That's what Jesus folk need. And celebrity preachers, they all crowned him as king, tripping over themselves just to kiss the Trump's ring. And he spoke only lies, just as if they were true, until they believed that the lies were true, too. He repeated and tweeted, he blustered and spit, and he misled and fibbed, just making up stuff. <laughs> and the media laughed, but they printed each line, thinking he'll never win, in the end we'll be fine. So they chased every headline, bold typed every claim, till the fake news and real news, they all just looked the same. And the scared folks who listened, they devoured every word. Yes, they ate it all up, every word that they heard, fearing their status was under attack, trusting the Trump to take their America back. From the gays and from ISIS, he'd take it all back, take it back from the Democrats, fat cats, and blacks. So hook, line, and sinker, they all took the bait, all of his lies about making America great. Now, the pant-suited one... She was smart and prepared. She was brilliant and steady, but none of them cared. They cared not to see all the work that she'd done or the fact that the Trump had not done thing one. They could only shout emails. Yes, emails they'd shout because Fox News had told them and Fox News had clout. And the pantsuited one, she was slandered no end and lies became truths she could never defend. And the Trump watched it all go according to plan, a strong woman eclipsed by an insecure man. And November the 8th arrived, finally it came, like a slow-moving storm, but it came just the same. And Tuesday became Wednesday, as those days will do. And the night turned to morning, and the nightmare came true. With millions of non-voters still in their beds, yes, the Trump, he had done it, just like he said. And the Trumpers, they trumped how they trumped when he won, all the racists and bigots, deplorable ones. 
They crawled out from the woodwork, came out to raise hell. They came out to be hateful and hurtful as well. With slurs and with road signs, with spray paint and tweets, with death threats to neighbors and taunts on the streets. And the grossest of grossness they hurled on their peers, while the Trump, he said zilch, for the first time in years. But he tweeted at Hamilton, he tweeted the Times, and he trolled Alec Baldwin a few hundred times, and he pouted a pout like a petulant kid, thinking that this is what presidents did. Thinking he could still be a perpetual jerk, terrified to learn he must actually work. Work for every American, not just a few, not just for the white ones. There was much more to do. He now worked for the Muslims and Mexicans, too, for the brown, black, and tan ones, and the ones who vote blue. They were all now his bosses. Now they all had a say. And those nasty, pantsuited ones were still here to stay. And the Trump, he soon realized that he didn't win. He'd gotten the prize, and the prize now had him. And it turned out the Trump was a little too late. For America was already more than quite great. Not because of the sameness. The opposite's true. It's greatness far more than just red, white, and blue. It's straight, gay, and female. It's Gentile and Jew. It's transgender and Christian and atheist, too. It's Asians, Caucasians of all different kinds. The disabled and abled, the deaf and the blind. It's immigrants, Muslims, and brave refugees. It's liberals with bleeding hearts fixed to their sleeves. And we are all saying we are staying right here and we'll be the great bane of the Trump for four years. And we'll be twice as loud as the loudness of hate be the greatness that makes our America great. And the Trump's loudest boasts, they won't ever obscure. Nearly three million more of us voted for her. <laughs> that was great. Good job. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast or any other, you can download any of them for free anytime at bradblog.com. Thanks, of course, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am just the Brad Blog. We'll be back with you after Christmas, though. Angie Coiro will be with you uh, on our next thrilling episode with Al Gore, her exclusive interview. So stick that in your lockbox. All right. <laughs> until we meet again, Merry Christmas to all. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.